We all want happy, healthy families, and that quest for good health begins at birth. Sadly, many of our nation's infants have a much more difficult journey reaching their first birthday than other infants. African-American babies, for instance, are as much as two and a half times less likely to reach their first birthday than Caucasian babies. This disturbing disparity has given rise to a national forum, a forum wherein healthcare professionals, birth workers, policymakers, and family planning experts share information and ideas to combat the scourge of black infant mortality and maternal morbidity. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. Welcome, you're listening to the GAP podcast series. I am Lindell Singleton, and we are back with another episode. Now today, we're in for a real treat. We're in studio today with the CEO of one of the largest and most impactful health centers and health organizations in North Central Texas and Oklahoma. The great James Baldwin is on record as saying, to be black in the Americas is to be in a constant state of fury. The person sitting across from me leverages what I want to call virtuous fury into strategic and calculated and decisive actions that bring respectful and high-quality health care to some of the most vulnerable citizens in our nation. And as each of you who are listening to our show, you already know that, you know, I believe the world really has two kinds of folks. There's talkers and doers. Well, the person who's in studio with me today is a doer. And her name is Joyce Tapley. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Foremost Family Health Centers. And I'm also proud to say she is a friend and she likes to give me a hard time, which I've asked her not to do on the show today. But knowing Joyce, she probably will. So Joyce, say hello to our listeners. Hello to everyone. And hello, Lindell. I am excited about being a part of your show. And I'm hoping that some of the information that I share is something that can help touch lives of those who are having a difficult time trying to figure out how to take care of themselves and their family members. So thank you. What I said in the in the in the open about you being a doer is just something that just it's just something that just really that I'm enamored by in that you're out there boots on the ground with a unique vision about virtuous respectful health care and you're making sure that people get it and there's there's something to 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 be said to to be said for that I just want to begin by by having you just talk to our audience about what what are federally qualified health centers, what is foremost, and what is the the role that that, that those organizations play in the American healthcare ecosystem. So I want to start out first by talking about the official name of our organization. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Family Clinic. Okay. We are based in Dallas, Texas, South Dallas, and that's an area where, of all the health care disparities, we score the highest, which is the worst. And back in 86, a group of citizens in the South Dallas area wanted to figure out how we can, they could bring health care to the community, predominantly black community. And they called the center, got some funding from the federal government, some startup funding, and 
name the Center Martin Luther King Jr. Family Clinic, and that is still the name. Over time, we wanted to add something to, to the name, and we thought, we as in the board members, some community folks thought of foremost, meaning premier. So Martin Luther King has always been a premier leader, and foremost family health centers is one of the names that we wanted to add to the corporation. So I wanted to at least put that out there because a lot of folks still know us as Martin Luther King, the King Clinic, and we are still representing what Martin Luther King decided that we need to do, and that's to take care of ourselves, take care of our health, so that that's not a, a critical part of, of our demise. Uh, and going to, to federally qualified health centers, what that, that term means is just that there are different organizations that are not, we're nonprofit. We are required to have a, a community board of directors, meaning that at least half of our board members plus one have to be patients of the center. So we're required to be a, a 501c3 nonprofit, a private nonprofit, so that we're not run by any, anyone. The government doesn't run us, but they provide some funding for us. So we receive limited funds, startup funds, and we apply for funding every three to five years. And that fun, those funds allow us to receive money. So it allows us to give discounts to those who are uninsured or underinsured or don't have, you know, just can't afford to pay out of pocket what they would normally pay if they went to a private practice. And so that's the designation, that, that we are federally qualified health centers. There are well over 2,000 base or primary health centers throughout the country, but a lot of the, most of the health centers have multiple sites. So there's somewhere around three to 5,000 health centers throughout the country in major cities, in rural areas, urban, just all over. And we're designed to be in underserved areas so that we can have access and provide access to primary care. So our goal is to keep people from going to the emergency room. And in doing so, we set up and we hire all of our staff members. We hire the physicians, the nurses, the front staff, everyone. We operate as a business like any other private practice. It's just that we receive some federal funding to help us provide discounts to those who, who we take care of. We do accept Medicaid, Medicare, and private insurances. But our biggest goal is to try and help take care of individuals and their family on a regular basis to be a primary care uh, medical home and a dental home and keep pay people from going to the ER to use services that are unnecessary. So I know that's a, a long, a long-winded talking way of, of telling you what we, what we are, but it's important that, that people understand there are a lot of community health centers throughout the country. We have two sites. I'm working on two more to add two more sites. We're in schools. We are in sitting next to hospitals. If we have a collaboration where the hospital will refer patients that don't need to be in the ER, they can go to the FQHC. We are all over, and our goal is to really provide high-quality health care on a primary and preventive basis. And we do all that we can to just keep people from going to the ER. 
We're about to go to break. Listen to this very brief word from one of our sponsors and stay with us. We'll be back momentarily with the Gap podcast series. What if we could think differently about cancer? At the center, we are thinking differently about cancer. The center is a patient-centered oncology medical home designed to optimize care for cancer patients. Healthcare in the 21st century has a triple aim to provide the highest quality of care at the lowest cost with the greatest patient satisfaction. The center accomplishes this by helping patients get through the entire cancer journey. The physician prescribes a treatment course and the entire team rallies around the patient. The team consists of pharmacists and geneticists, advanced practitioners and research nurses, chaplains and social workers, oncology massage therapists, and rehabilitation professionals. And with this team and a unique vision, the center embodies the idea of a home, a medical home. You can learn more about the concept of an oncology medical home by visiting thecentertx.com. listening to the Gap podcast series, and we are back from break. Would you say that, that many of the, the persons who come to, to Foremost, who come to Martin Luther King, are part of a vulnerable population as it relates to health care? Yes. They, they are vulnerable as it relates to health care, Jobs. A lot of patients that we see don't have a job or don't have a, a steady job or a job with benefits. They may not have the highest level of education they'd like to have because they are in an area or in a position where they are not able to get the education they need. They are disenfranchised. And these are blacks, Hispanics, whites, Asians. These are folks that you know, have a lot that are uh, weighing against them. They may not have the transportation they need, and so if they take a bus, they may have to take two or three buses. It's, it, they're disenfranchised, and still we figure out a way to help them with their health care. And if they need housing, we can help get them collect, uh, connected with someone who can help them with housing. If they need Utilities paid, we have a staff member or staff members that can help them with that. If they're trying to qualify for either discounts for services or if they're trying to qualify for um, discounts and uh, in taking care of utilities, all those types of things, we have staff members who help with that. We have staff members who will help them see if they qualify for insurance, for the marketplace insurance. So we are very comprehensive. When, when federally qualified health centers are set up, our goal is to have you walk through our doors and have your entire family taken care of. So we have family medicine doctors, internists, pediatricians, obstetrics and gynecologists, dentists, pharmacy, lab work. We are a one-stop shop. And that's unusual for a primary care practice, a multi-specialty group practice. Most places you have to go four or five different places to take your family. So our, our goal is to meet all of your needs in one place. And we have behavioral health. So we have psychologists, our, our connections with psychologists, uh, social workers. We have connections with psychiatrists. We have a podiatrist 
Actually, we have a couple at our centers. We have a couple. So we, we literally take care of you from head to toe. So, Joyce, it sounds to me like what, what you've created there at Foremost at Martin Luther King Center is, is a medical home for a population who are medically homeless. That is true. That is true. Yes, and we, and we see homeless. So we, we can, we'll take care of any person who walks through the doors. And, I, and I'm a person, I go for my services, for some of my services. And I don't like going to the dentist, but we've got music in the background, got little earphones to <laughs> cover up my ears so I don't hear all of it buzzing. And, and it's getting everything taken care of. I get my education too. They, they tell me to make sure that I floss every tooth I want to save, and so that's what I do. So what is the status, what is the frame, what is the snapshot of the healthcare system in the United States? You are a credentialed professional that has been boots on the ground for years. What's your analysis of the healthcare system in the U.S.? Well, I see a few things. And, you know, I started out as a hospital administrator in, in Southern California in one of the county hospitals. And even then, back in the early 90s, we still talked about how access to health care has been an issue. And where there are 30 or 40 million people back then that were uninsured. And now it's worse. Today it's worse with with the changes in, uh, well, COVID, the COVID pandemic definitely made a major impact on healthcare uh, for those who had healthcare coverage through their jobs and then the jobs, the organizations or businesses closed. That meant a lot of people went without healthcare. So we have a lot more people, and I don't know the number now, I don't know if it's around 40, 40 or 50 million, I'm not quite sure, but we have a lot more people who don't have the healthcare coverage or if they have health care coverage, the deductible is so high that they still have to pay out of pocket, and they need to shop around to figure out who am I going to see if I'm going to have to pay out of pocket without a job or with a, a part-time job. The snapshot of health care is, is one where we all now see who has been impacted by the... discrimination that's taken place uh, with people who want to be taken care of. And, and I, I certainly am glad that social media and, and the news are highlighting, that, that highlighting this a lot more now because it's been reality uh, for a long time that there are so many people who want to take care of themselves but can't afford it because of the, uh, the, the, the fees, the fees are very high or they, they're not quite sure where they want to go and, and I certainly am so excited over this last couple of years that community health centers, federally qualified health centers have been highlighted as a viable and high level options for people to go to get cared for. Well that is um, that's pretty extraordinary. We're about to go to break. 
Today we have in studio the extraordinary Joyce Tapley, CEO of the Martin Luther King Jr. Clinic and Foremost Family Health Centers. You're listening to the Gap Podcast Series. Stay with us. almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back. You're listening to the Gap podcast series, and we're in studio today with the extraordinary CEO of Martin Luther King Jr. Clinic and Foremost Family Health Centers uh, right here in Dallas, Texas, Miss Joyce Tapley. We're going to play a quote from a book that has been very instrumental in our journey and understanding black infant mortality and and black maternal health and as as all of you know who who listen to our series you know that's the core of what the gap podcast series is about is in continually illuminating the issues of black infant mortality and maternal health in the united states and a big part of that and we're exploring Exploring that in greater depth this season is just taking a look at at matters of, of healthcare equity and healthcare disparities. So the book is by Dr. W. Michael Byrd and his wife, Linda Clayton, and it's entitled An American Health Dilemma, Race, Medicine, and Healthcare in the United States. And it's a phenomenal tome in that it, in the research, is overwhelming. Dr. Bird has compiled a, a just a comprehensive, comprehensive, documented, and well-researched history of the healthcare journey of African Americans in this country. And we're going to play a quote, and and Joyce is going to 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 respond to something that Dr. Bird wrote. So if we could roll the quote now, please. There's a blind spot plaguing the nation's healthcare system. And here's a summary of the medical social ideas, traditions, and practices that we must be aware of. One, a presumption of poor health status and outcomes as normal for African Americans. Two, perpetuation of the traditional assignment of black and disadvantaged populations to inferior tiers of the health delivery systems. Three, systemic underrepresentation of blacks and other disadvantaged groups in venues of higher education and health professionals. Four, exclusionary health policies that have the effect of perpetuating inequities, disparities, and excess deaths among blacks, the poor, and working class Americans over the past 100 years. Five, 
a failure to explain a generalized majority unawareness that the above phenomena are both the effect and consequences of racial bias and scientific racism. Excerpts from An American Health Dilemma, Race, Medicine, and Healthcare in the United States by W. Michael Byrd and Linda A. Clayton. Joyce. Yes. What's your take on on that summation from Dr. Bird and 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 Clayton? I can certainly say that he's made it plain and and spoke the truth. That's the first thing. And I know that in his reading he put these practices and, and these statements in a particular order. I, I kind of want to respond uh, in a different order. Okay. I'd like to start first with number four, exclusionary health policies that had an effect of per- per- perpetuating inequities, disparities, and excess deaths among blacks. That right there seems to me to be the beginning of this, this long journey of how blacks have been put in a position to where we are behind in a lot of areas. Started out in slavery, splitting up the family. And then for those who were in the house and those who were in the fields, some got a little bit of better food and some had to do with whatever they could get. That puts a person behind. Just, just having to, to have what's left over. The second, two, perpetu- perpetuation of the traditional assignment of blacks and disadvantaged populations. In the healthcare delivery system, that has taken place over the decades with having blacks go to a different school, if they could go to school. If they became uh, healthcare providers, they had to see blacks in a different part of the hospital, if they were even able to work in that hospital. Uh, the nurses had to be in a certain area. That, that is a, a splitting of the blacks and the whites in the system and not giving them all of the tools they needed to take care of, of African-Americans and blacks. So that puts us behind. The third one, the systemic underrepresentation of blacks in higher education, that started way back in slavery, not wanting to allow blacks to learn, to read, to have knowledge. That happens in education even now, where you've got children who don't have access to Wi-Fi, don't have access to electronics to be able to learn remotely. That still happens now in the, the disenfranchised uh, areas. That's happening now. Uh, the presumption of poor status. We're going to always know that if you don't have all the tools and all of the advantages that everyone else has, you're going to be behind. So we can presume that someone, blacks have a poor status, but it's not because they're black. It's because the system has been designed to target blacks. It's not because of their undesire or not, not wanting to learn, not wanting to work, not wanting to be healthy. A lot of us are been, have been put in a position where we don't have the access uh, to everything that, that those who have or who make the decisions have. 
and the failure to explain and generalize majority unawareness, well, I can say this. The COVID vaccine, the COVID virus has certainly shed a lot more light on what's going on in this country. And it is, this is a system that has been designed to separate blacks and whites uh, and Hispanics and other uh, races of people uh, from having the access to all the services that they need. And it, it must change. Part of the solution is figuring out ways to attract more blacks and Hispanics and other ethnicities to healthcare. If we can do that, then that's, that increases the chances of, of people feeling comfortable being cared for by someone who they believe cares for them. And I'm not saying that there are uh, non-blacks who don't care for blacks, because I've, I've had, and you know, a lot of, there are a lot of, of other races of people who care about blacks. But we do feel comfortable being taken care of by people that we see and look like us, that have grown up the way we have, that have had challenges the way we've had, or that have had some, some good things happen. We, we, can, we have something in common. And that is what is important. It's important to each and every person that they have something in common with the person that's taking care of them, that they feel comfortable. And we need to be able to establish the laws that are in, designed to be fair. And these laws were not designed to be fair. That's what's coming out in all of the protests that are taking place, especially the peaceful ones. That's what's coming out in those who are are stating what they expect and how they expect to be cared for and treated. This is all about having more equality. If we really are going to say that we are uh, the land of the free, then we need to be treated as free people who would be free to care for whoever they want to care for, love who they want to love, to uh, work where they want to work, and to have the, the type of success that they, they deem is successful to them. I can say that I haven't read that book and I plan on reading it now. Well, thank you so much, uh, Joyce, for, uh, for spending this hour with us. It's just been, it's been extraordinary. Thank you. I am honored to be a part of this, this show. You're listening to The Gap Podcast Series. Thank you for listening. The Gap Podcast Series is produced by Limeville Entertainment in association with Sagasse Media Group. Also, be sure to visit us online at 365plusone.org. That's 365plusone.org.